Hello everyone, my name is Monica. Welcome and or welcome back to I've Been Meaning to Watch That, the weekly podcast that talks about TV shows and movies that I, Monica, have been meaning to watch but I haven't gotten around to them, or TV shows and movies that I watch after everyone else has watched them because I'm always late to the party and I'm never on trend. And this week we're going to be talking about You Season 1. The reason why I'm talking about You Season 1 is because this is part of a school project. So it's not an everyday Uh. podcast. Sorry about that burp. That's disgusting. Uh. Excuse me. But yeah, we're going to be talking about You Season 1. And I just want to start off by saying that This is another one of those TV shows that I watch, and I like the show, but I hate the main character. And honestly, if you like the show and you like Joe, then please stop listening to this podcast because we are not going to get along. I hate that people see Joe Goldberg as like an anti-hero and that he's like some kind of protagonist, like he's a hero of his story, and he's not. Because an anti-hero is meant to have a villain in some kind of way. And who's the villain in his story? Is it the girl he wants to date but isn't interested in him until she is? Or is it the girl's friends and family that get in the way of him being with her? So we're going to talk about season one. And if you haven't watched season one, obviously spoilers up ahead. And I do want to say that this is not going to serve as a recap of season one. But I'm mainly just going to talk about Joe and his immorality and what's up with this guy. Like, who is he? So for season one, um, I think that season one did a better job being based off of the book rather than season two. I'm going to be honest, I didn't read Hidden Bodies because I did read the book You by Carolyn Kepnes, I think. And I have to say, I didn't like the book. I hated the book. It's, (laughs) It's not, well, you know what? It is terribly written. It's terribly written and the story and the plot are weak. And I was surprised when Lifetime picked it up for a series, but then I wasn't surprised because most Lifetime shows and movies are terrible, predictable, soapy, overdramatic things that kind of bank on like older moms watching them while they're drinking wine and just have nothing else to do. You know, the only other Showtime, the only, the only, Showtime, the only other show I've watched on Lifetime is The Real, no, Unreal. It's a show in Lifetime. It had like four seasons. It was really good. It was supposed to serve as like a dramatic look into dating reality shows like The Bachelor. And if you guys ever want a really good show that's kind of like sexy and spicy and like nail biting and also super feminist, you should watch The Unreal. It's really good. Anyways, jumping right back into you, season one. There were a few... um, differences between the book and the show for one thing is that in the book we don't really hear much about Paco and um in the show Joe's relationship with Paco is more expanded on same with Beck who is the girl that he fantasizes about and wants to date in season one her friends aren't really in the book as much but in the show they're a little more fleshed out the friend group is more cohesive And in the book, Peach, who's Beck's best friend, she is wealthy, but she's not as suspicious of Joe as she is in the start of the season. In the book, she does think that she has a stalker, but she doesn't think that it's Joe. But in the book, she is way more possessive of Beck. 
and does keep Beck from spending time with her other friends. <sighs> also in the book, since this does not serve as a recap, and if you're listening to this podcast, I am going to assume that you have watched season one, because in the book, Beck's death is a lot more gruesome and grueling. It's very violent, and it takes like two pages for them to talk about it, and I couldn't read through it. It was so, so terrible. But in season one, they don't really like show her dying. It's assumed that she's dead. But of course, as you know, at the end of season one, um, what is it? Yeah, at the end of season one, Joe has supposedly killed Beck, and then his ex-girlfriend Candace comes back, and throughout the whole season, it has been hinted at that Joe killed Candace because she mysteriously disappeared with some guy to Italy, but then she just shows up in the bookstore say it, talking about how they have unfinished business. Yeah. And also in the book, Peach's death is a lot different because in the book, he hits her in the head with a rock and then fills her pockets with rocks and then throws her in the body. And in the book, her death and disappearance didn't cause much of a stir, unlike in the TV show where her family sent a P.I., to look into Peach's death. So let's go into season one, talking about the show. Joe Goldberg, he is our main character. He is the manager of a bookstore. In the first episode, we see Joe Goldberg is just working. He sees Beck browsing the books. He talks her up. And immediately in like the first three minutes of the show, I already do not like this guy. And I like that the show tries to use the kind of format of the romantic meet cute the kind that you see in romantic movies where a guy sees a girl and he's like looking at her. He notice, notices her smile and like how she's so pretty and how her hair is just naturally bouncy. But in you, Joe Goldberg notices that Beck isn't wearing a bra and she's not wearing a bra because she wants him to notice. And already my skin is crawling and it is disgusting. This guy is so gross. And... Of course, after she leaves the bookstore and buys a book that she wants, he automatically Googles her and looks up her Tumblr, her Instagram, her Twitter, and finds out where she lives. Because that's something that people, that's something that you do when you like a girl. You find out where she lives and you watch her through her windows. And I do have to say, one criticism I do have of Beck is that she leaves her windows open. But if you had such a beautiful apartment like Beck's with such amazing windows, I think you would leave it open too. I know, you know, you wouldn't, you wouldn't think that somebody is watching you or stalking you in any way. But that's the thing about Guinevere Beck is that I'm already going to get into this. I do not hate Beck. I want to say I, I am on her side completely. I do think that she does stupid things sometimes, but that's because she's basically, she's pay, she's playing the basic white girl. You know, the basic white girl who's just like, la-di-da, whatever. And most of her life, she hasn't had to become overly aware or paranoid about her own safety and her own life and how she has to carry herself and what could be going on and how she could be in danger. She doesn't really have to think about those things 
in the same way that I would have to think about it because I live in Atlanta and Atlanta is like the sex trafficking capital and you know what kind of girls are sex trafficked the most? Black girls. And I am a young black girl who lives in the metro Atlanta area and usually when black girls go missing, no one really cares. You see their picture all the time online on social media, but when 300,000 black girls go missing out of nowhere, does the police do anything about it? Like, are there more resources put down for the manhunt? No, but if a white girl goes missing, they put on every they put her on every single milk carton, and then Jimmy Kimmel and Jimmy Fallon are talking about it until they find this girl, and then they like dedicate a Netflix series to her, talking about how we caught Amelia and how we got her back home safe. You know, there's a big stark difference. So of course, Beck has lived this life where she hasn't really had to think about her own personal safety and how she carries herself in the world. And another thing is that Beck has dated guys who are not great guys. Okay, they're butt faces, honestly. Benji is the guy that she's kind of dating when Joe first meets Beck. He is, Benji is rich. Benji is obviously um, a trust fund kid. His dad owns some kind of like company or whatever. Benji's trying to create this artisanal soda company and Joe thinks of him as everything that is wrong with society. And of course Benji is her on and off again boyfriend. She doesn't really love him. He definitely does not love her or care about her because he's obviously sleeping with other people besides her. And Joe doesn't like Benji, but then again, no one likes Benji because he's a butt face. And this is another problem with Joe, is that I get that, like, I get it that you like a girl and you want to be with her and you want to date her, but when you find out that she has an on-again, off-again boyfriend, you know what you should do? Maybe you should, like, also, he doesn't text her, because obviously she didn't give him her phone number when they met. But he finds her email and starts emailing her, which I think is even more creepier because it's not that easy to access someone's email. Like, how do you find someone's email online? Unless you guys are, like, students and you go to the same college and, like, maybe you, like, look up their name in the student directory and you can figure out, like, their email. Because most school emails are, like, first initial, last name, random number at schoolname.edu. But she is currently in school. She's a teacher's assistant for this teacher who is a total prick, disgusting, gross guy who obviously wants to sleep with her, like Joe says it. But the thing is, is that like he finds her email and they start talking through email. I think they start talking through email. I did not write that down in my notes on how they communicated at first, but I'm pretty sure it's through email because he doesn't have any social media. And I feel like if you like a girl, you should like, I don't know, like, dude, like, just, like, talk to her. Send her flowers. You don't have to do something wildly dramatic, like, pretend to be someone else online and get in contact with her on-again, off-again boyfriend so that he can meet you in the alleyway, you can hit him over the head with a mallet and then lock him into a glass chamber box in the basement of your bookstore. It doesn't make sense. Another thing you shouldn't do when you like a girl is stalk her when she leaves a party until she gets into the corner of New York, like, of Greenwich and she falls on the subway and then you rescue her at the exact moment and I feel like that moment was very pivotal for him 
because that moment paid off for him. Because of, because stalking is gross. Stalking is weird. Stalking is creepy. But when you're when you stalk a girl and you happen to save her life, you realize that you are really the hero. That if you weren't there at that right exact moment, she would have died. And now you see that you are truly there to save her, to help her, to protect her. You are the prince charming, and she's a damsel in distress. And you must do everything you can to keep her safe. Because in that one moment, you were there right when she needed you. And now you have to be with her always, because you guys are meant to be together. And of course he got lucky saving her because she was drunk and she fell on the subway car and he pulled her off the subway tracks so she could be alive today. Like that's great, but like seems kinda it seems kinda seems kind of unnecessary when you strangled her to death, I'm just saying. Just singing. But uh yeah, he saves her. After he saves her at the subway car, he takes her phone and she thinks that she left the phone in the subway. So, of course, she gets a new one. But she didn't, like, disable the cloud on her old phone. So, now he can read all her text messages and look through all her pictures, which is a huge invasion of privacy. You know what else is a huge invasion of privacy? He reported a gas leak in her apartment. And he goes there, and of course the guy who's in the apartment checking for the gas leak is like, who are you? And Joe lies and says that he's Beck's boyfriend. And then he goes and snoops and looks around her apartment. I think he takes her journal and like a tank top and some of her underwear, which is which was, I think, dirty. I think some of her dirty underwear, which is disgusting. I don't like, it's, it's, he's, ugh. It creeps me out because there's an uh because later in this se season, Beck goes to talk to him, and you can see all the stuff that he stole from her apartment. It's just lying around his apartment, like her underwear, her tank top, her journal. It's just lying around his apartment, like her old phone that he stole from her that he still uses so he can read her text messages. All this stuff is just lying around his apartment. Like it's just decor. Like it's just part of his apartment. Like it's just stuff he picked up from Ikea. Oh, what's this? It's just some dirty underwear I stole from a girl who I wasn't dating yet. And I broke into her apartment because I pretended I was, his, I was her girlfriend. And now I have her dirty underwear and I sniff it and I masturbate to it. Because I'm a normal person with a working brain. It's not cute. It's really gross and super duper creepy and I hate it. Another thing, as we continue on into our discussion, is that Joe doesn't see Beck as a fully formed human being. Also, Joe is that guy who thinks that society is crumbling under us because we've evolved and nobody listens to the Beatles anymore. Nobody reads books. You're all into Enrique Iglesias and your phones. He's that guy. And I just want to say, Joe, you're not better than us. You're just annoying. And you have this superiority con like complex about you. And you think that you're so high and mighty because you live alone and eat peanut butter sandwiches. And what, you don't have a Facebook? Oh, great. Good for you. Do you want a pat on the back? Do you want a fucking cookie? Like, no, sir. He talks about how like technology is destroying our society, but he also says talks about how technology is our friend. 
because he uses technology to dig into people's lives and find out where people live. Like technology is something that bleeds into every part of our lives. And this is this is another thing about the show is that I feel like it can serve as a cautionary tale, but to what point should I be cautious? You know, like if someone were to watch this show and then think, okay, well now I have to delete all my social media and erase my presence from online and make sure that my address isn't on the internet so people can easily access it and try and change my phone number every month so that no one could send me weird texts and try to check my location and try to stalk me and find out who I am. Because the show, the show, the show shows, the show displays how easy it is for someone to stalk you but it also shows how technology just bleeds into our everyday life and he finds out where she lives so easily but like what am I supposed to do if I think I have a stalker lock myself in a dungeon and just hide there and hope that they just like lose interest in me and then I can go back to living my life it's ridiculous because there's always these men who become fixated on women and think that women are their property and that they deserve to be with this woman. They deserve to be with this girl. They're manipulative and they're possessive and they're disgusting and they're weird because I don't know how somebody in their mind thinks that, oh my gosh, I have to be with this one person because if I'm not with this one person, my life will fall apart. If I'm not with this one person, I will never be whole. So I must do whatever I can to be with this girl. And if that means killing somebody that they care about then i'll do it so that this person relies on me and leans on me and wants to be with me only so that i am the center of their universe the same way they are the center of mine what what have you lacked in your life that causes you to look for love and affection and validation to somebody else because i'm here to tell you right now that you may need jesus or professional help or maybe you just need to like I don't know, go to Joshua Tree or something, my guy. Like, maybe you just need to go to the Grand Canyon and find yourself, all right? Because this is not okay. It's not okay. Joe Goldberg is this guy who thinks that, oh my God, he, like, how do I explain this really? How do I, how do I explain this so y'all get it? He just thinks that he needs to be with this girl because she will complete the puzzle piece of him. And that if, and he also thinks that he can fix her because he sees her as broken and he sees her as basic. But as we watch the show, we see that Beck isn't as basic as we think she is. She isn't this simple girl. Because even though what I said before is true, that like possibly Beck has never really had to be super aware or have to like, really think about her well-being and the extent that I would have to think about my my well-being. Beck is not someone who's had an easy life. You know, she had a father who was addicted to crack and when she was like 12 or 13, she found him on the floor and she thought that he had died. And then after they had he had been rushed to the hospital and he simply relapsed and he was okay, he left her family behind. And so now her siblings pretend like everything's okay through Facebook, even though she doesn't really know what's going on with her siblings' lives. And her mom is constantly going on cruises and on antidepressants and dating boring men because she doesn't want to date somebody who's too exciting because it may remind her of her ex-husband. And Beck told people that her dad died when she was young. 
But when she was at Brown, her dad reached out to her again and said that he wanted to reconnect, he wanted to talk to her, and he offered to pay for some of her bills. Because, of course, going to a university like Brown, you, like, and going and being, living in the same area where Brown is, it's very expensive to live there. And I also, this is another thing that irked me, was that when Joe had Benji locked away in his glass chamber, under the bookstore because that's a normal thing to just exist. Benji told Joe that Beck is just the kind of guy, she's the kind of, what was that? What was that voice? Benji told Joe that Beck is the kind of girl who pretends to be super deep around her friends, but really she wants to date somebody who's going to take care of her and want to provide for her. She's just like every other girl and that Beck is just going to dump Joe to be with somebody who's super rich. And that's also something that Peach thinks because Peach tells Beck that she shouldn't be with Joe when she eventually starts dating Joe. Peach says that Beck should be with someone who can take care of her, someone who can provide for her not some retail clerk and Joe starts to believe this a little bit because Beck invited him to a party at Peach's house and that party I have to say there's some, there's one scene there like that party my goodness uh I'll get back to that in a second Beck invites Joe to the party but obviously he figures out that Beck isn't like that Beck isn't really into all that and I think that people just underestimate Beck. They underestimate Guinevere. They think of her as this, they put her in this box. They see her as this one dimensional person. They see her as this kind of cardboard cutout of the basic blonde girl who made it and she has rich friends and she pretends to be smart so people will like her and people will be interested in her when really she's just like every other simple girl. And she's not simple. She's not. She's someone who is scared of being unremarkable. She wants to make art. She wants to write things that are impactful and amazing. But she doubts her skills. And she gets scared and intimidated by other people who are she thinks are more talented than her. And she doubts her own talent and skill when really she is a great writer. She is an amazing writer. But she cannot... But she doesn't write as often as she wants to because she has friends that want to party all the time. And she had a boyfriend who was a complete bud face. And she just didn't have any confidence in herself and in her skills. And she doubted her work. And she was scared to even try because she doesn't want to fail. She doesn't want to be unremarkable. But soon she realizes that she has things to say. And she writes and she starts creating and of course, eventually when she does start writing and creating and putting effort into her work, Joe takes like full responsibility for it because he thinks that he is her muse and he thinks that he's the one who will keep all the distractions away from her so she can focus on her writing and she could be a great author and he just wants to mold her into someone who is amazing. And dude, it's not you. Like you're not the person behind her brain. You're not the one writing out the words for her. She's doing this herself and that's another problem with Joe is that he constantly feels like 
like Guinevere Beck is her own person with her own desires and motivations and wants and she has her own plan for a future and that probably doesn't involve you so don't he just goes around thinking that he is going to be this pivotal part of her life and it makes me sad that Guinevere Beck was just a girl who just liked this guy she thought he was super nice and kind he was someone who made her pancakes and did her laundry he was someone who took care of her he was into books he was mysterious he was a like unplugged kind of guy he was honest and always had her back and he was someone that she could depend on when really he was this manipulative mischievous murderer who was simply trying to isolate her from other people who cared about her and wanted to take care of her and have her be this little hamster in a glass box to be this little unicorn that he keeps locked away in a room this little puppet this little sculpture this little statuette his little marionette that he plays around with and controls and that he's possessive over and he pretends like she wants he pretends like he wants her to be her own person and he pretends like he actually loves her and that he wants her to be her best self but as long as she's being her best self with him and that she includes him in everything and that she's attached to him so that he could finally get the love and affection that he never got as a child and that he could probably fix her and help her too because he needs to save her because she's this damsel in distress when really joe she's just a human being and like my gosh like Another thing is that on the outside, Joe seems like a normal, chill guy, but at the same time, like, what kind of grown man hangs out with a child all the time and spends all his time in the basement of a bookstore? Why are you so interested in books? Why are you so interested? Like, <laughs> that sounds so stupid. Like, I'm bullying a nerd, but. There is this line in the show. Wait, no, I'm jumping in on myself. Let's get back to Beck. Let's get back to Beck. Let's get back to Beck and her dad because I just walked right past that. Like I just talked right over it. But uh, basically, yeah, Beck. In episode four, um, Joe and Beck finally sleep together, but it only last like eight seconds which was very uncomfortable for me to watch and then beck gets a text from this guy called the captain and at first the show kind of like plays at it like the captain is beck's sugar daddy and that makes me feel very uncomfortable and i feel like that kind of fed into i feel like the show is kind of like feed trying to feed into our suspicions of beck that she's a slut and that she's not an all-american girl and that made me feel Ugh! because if she did have a sugar daddy i was hoping that maybe during this episode it would they would try to maybe like her voiceover would try to explain why she has a sugar daddy and i feel like if she did have a sugar daddy she would tell peach because there's a this like when the captain texts her, he tells her that he wants to know if they're gonna meet this weekend and she says yes. And um then he like sends her an address in like the address of the Seahorse Motel, which she stays at to like be with to be there. 
and at one point in the episode she goes to see peach and peach lets her borrow some shoes and she tells peach that she's going to a writer's retreat on the weekend and i feel like if beck did have a sugar daddy she would tell peach because that seems like something that peach would be okay with that it seems like something that peach wouldn't really judge her for or maybe peach would judge her for it and then hold it over her head whenever peach didn't get her way because peach is also not a great friend not a great person also in this series but she doesn't tell peach and then eventually we go to the seahorse motel and beck obviously since we're in her head in her voiceover she doesn't want to go there she doesn't want to be there she is just like she's she doesn't want to be at the seahorse motel and we soon find out that that's not her sugar daddy it's her dad her dad is alive and sometimes she goes to Emily Dickens festivals or whatever. Emily Dickens' son, Charles Dickens. Yeah, I always get I always get that mixed up. I'm I'm not that smart. I'm sorry. Anyways, she goes. Beck goes to these festivals with her dad because her dad helps pay for her bills. Because Beck is poor, she is a yoga instructor and she lives in a beautiful apartment in New York. Of course, this girl does not make enough money to live in the beautiful apartment that she lives in, and. Beck goes to these festivals to hang out with her dad so that she can spend time with her dad and his new family and she hates her dad's new family. She doesn't want to hate the kids obviously because it's not the children's fault but her dad got clean and then started dating this mommy blogger, this Christian mommy blogger and eventually he married the Christian mommy blogger and he became a huge feature on this Christian mommy's blogger's website. I think that the woman's name is Nancy. I think it's Nancy. It's, it's probably Nancy or I'm making it up. I don't know. It's most likely Nancy, the most basic white woman name besides Karen. But yeah, Nancy does not like Beck. She pretends to be nice and sweet to her, but obviously she doesn't like Beck. And um, she's a little rude to her. I'm trying to think. I don't know why I didn't take notes on this episode because this was like the, one of the most important episodes of this season. But um, Nancy and Beck and the daughter, I'm just going to call her Amy because I forget that girl's name. Uh, Nancy's talking to Beck and she's talking about how, oh my gosh, isn't it so great that your father got clean? And in Beck's head, she's like, woman, do not expect me to validate this man in front of you because I'm not going to do that. But out loud, Beck is like, yeah, it's so great. Like all fake and stuff. And Nancy says, you know, it just shows what a good Christian, what happens when you come from a good Christian household. And then obviously Beck in her head is like, do not, I know she did not just imply that my dad left me for a crack pipe because I wasn't Christian enough, which is a terrible thing to say to somebody who's dealt with something like that. And obviously that trauma is still held, like that trauma is still like a part of her life, you know? But of course, Beck is just like brushing it off, being fake, acting very nice and simple, trying to get through this weekend because he is helping pay for her bills and all she has to do is smile and just answer and like short answers and just try and get through the day but eventually the nancy leaves and it's just beck and amy and amy tells beck that her dad and nancy are having a baby together and beck is upset by this obviously because her father 
decided to start a new family, a new life, and he didn't even try to fix the family that he had before. And it breaks her heart. And eventually, obviously, Joe's there. Duh, Joe's there. Joe's, Joe's, her, Joe's her stalker. Joe was there at the Dickens Festival. And here's another thing. Here's another thing about the show. Not about the show. What was I going to say? I'm all over the place. Okay. So Joe's there and Joe gets found out because Peach goes to the bookstore to figure out if Joe's working there that day. But Joe told Ethan, another guy who works at the bookstore and is way too into like pop music and like cookbooks to even notice that Joe is a creepy weirdo stalker who works in the basement all the time. And also he keeps the basement of the bookstore locked, which doesn't make sense because even though he's the manager of the bookstore, why does the basement need to be locked? Books aren't that precious, you know? Like maybe you should leave it unlocked just in case someone wants a first edition book that you keep in the basement. Like what? That doesn't make any sense. Like why would you do that? Obviously, like why doesn't Ethan have more questions? Why isn't he more suspicious of Joe? Like my guy, come on. Anyways. Peach goes to the bookstore and talks to Ethan and asks if Joe's there and Ethan says that Joe went away for the weekend and of course Peach calls um, Beck and asks her if Joe is with Beck. Beck says no and then Ethan calls Joe and tells him that there is a girl looking for him and Joe obviously knows that that's Peach and then Beck gets a little bit suspicious so Joe allows himself to be found by Beck and then Beck wants to know why he's there. And Beck, and then Joe's like, oh, well, you know, I'm a bookseller. You know, I'm just here selling a book or he's looking for like, he's either selling a book or he's looking for a very like exclusive book. Either one of those scenarios. I don't really remember which lie he told her, but she believes him. And like, Guinevere, there's a problem here because girl, what the, girl, what, what? What? Joe? Oh my gosh, listen. <sighs> Joe straight up says, you see this guy that you have been dating for like, I don't know, three weeks or something, two weeks. They haven't been dating for a long time. I'm gonna tell you that right now. And he's just at this random festival that you happen to be at that you told nobody about seeing the dad that everybody thinks is dead and this very secret very exclusive very unknown festival for a weirdo people who like dickens in this hoduck town in the middle of nowhere in new england and he just happens to be there and of course he says that he's lying and he says that he followed her there and for a second she's like what and for a second i'm like oh he's about to tell the truth that you stalked her and he's like i came to surprise you because you took a nature shot this morning and there's a sign in the corner of your nature shot for a restaurant that was not a chain restaurant and then he looked in the area and he saw that there was a festival going on and he put two and two together and then he just showed up because he wanted to surprise her which sounds cute sounds like something out of a romance film obviously like oh my gosh my boyfriend came all the way from New York to this ho-dunk town, honky, 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 donkey town in the middle of no England, in the middle of nowhere, to this honky, donkey book festival where a bunch of people are in petticoats and getting drunk in the middle of the day. He came here to see me and be here with me and love on me. Isn't that so sweet? Like, 
he wasn't a little bit like if somebody told me if that happened to me i would still be suspicious like why would you think i was at this festival why wouldn't you think i'm somewhere else but then again that festival is probably the only thing that was happening that weekend at that time so of course he would just assume that she was there because she likes to read I guess the logic isn't there guys the logic I can't there's no logic behind the reasoning for this but I guess we're going to go with it and of course Joe meets Nancy and the captain I don't remember Beck's dad's real name I'm not gonna lie I don't really care that much and um of course Beck tells Joe about how her dad uh was in the basement when she was 12 or 13 and how she thought he had died, but he didn't die. And he says that he understands and that he's here for her. And that's another that's another sign that there is something wrong. Because if I was dating somebody, and if I if I were dating someone and I went to a festival, a book festival that is unknown, nobody knows about, very unpopular very underground and you see me in the middle of massachusetts at some town that's so far from boston and like way in the corner like if i was at a book festival in like rhode island in a town that no one has heard of and this guy that i was dating for three weeks just so happened to be there as well i would be so suspicious and he flew all this way just to see me after we've been dating for like less than a month i would be very suspicious and now you find out the man who is my dad, who I told you was dead, isn't actually dead. And you're just like, oh, it's okay, I understand. And you're just fine with it? I would be a bit more suspicious. I'd be very suspicious. I, I, I think, like, the logic isn't here. I don't see it. I don't know where it went. I don't know what's going on, but like, okay, sure. And of course, Beck feels bad because the first personal thing she told Joe was a lie. But girl, who cares if you lied? He's stalking you, okay? Like, who cares if you're a liar? All right, he he's a little, he, his screws are a little loose. All right, it's fine. And, oh gosh. So then we go to dinner with the captain and his new family. And Beck tries to tell the story about how she was younger and how um, she was trying to tell this really nice story about when she was younger and like her dad was a sailor and like this story with the neighbors and stuff like that. And Nancy was not having it because Nancy doesn't want to talk about the captain's old life with his old family because he has a new family now. So we don't think about them anymore, okay? And of course, Beck gets very upset and she says that Nancy does not have to defend him, that he can speak for himself and she's just... I understand her anger I really do and she leaves the table and Joe goes to talk to her and she flat out says who do you think you are you think that you know me we've been dating for how long a minute like two minutes and you suddenly think you could come to me and talk to me about how I have daddy issues and that is the moment when Guinevere Beck stood for stood up for herself and I was like yes tell him exactly how you feel let him know Put him in his place. And I honestly expected her to be like, and another thing, we've been dating for three weeks and now you're just randomly here in the middle of Ho-Dug, New England, nowhere. And you think I'm supposed to be okay with this? Sir, 
Who are you? Google Maps is not that accurate, okay? Trust me. I know. But she didn't say that. She just tells him to leave and he leaves and um, the captain comes to talk to her and he invites her to a house in Vermont that he has with Nancy and the kids and he gives her a check and of course, oh yeah, earlier um, Amy, the daughter, the, Nancy's daughter, tells Beck that the dad can't send Beck money anymore and Nancy got upset with Beck at the dinner table when she said that Nancy doesn't have to defend the dad and Nancy's like oh you don't even love him you don't even care about him you just see him as an ATM don't you and that was like oh okay Nancy whoo and do I think that Beck uses her uses her dad for money I mean yes and she should she should use it for money he left her he left like if your dad leaves you when you're young after you find him in the basement and you think he has died and he just ups and leaves your family and y'all just got to pick up the pieces on your own and he just appears out of nowhere like i'm clean i'm better now here's a thousand dollars like take the money don't feel bad about it of course she feels bad about it because she's a human being with morals and she doesn't want to take the money because he left her and her family and she doesn't love him anymore. But like, maybe she does love her dad and she misses her dad. But she misses her dad as who he used to be because the dad tries, and, tries to say to Beck that she doesn't understand because she was so young. She didn't see what was really going on. She didn't, she only saw what, she, like what Beck remembers of her dad isn't really who she was wasn't really who he was and then Beck plainly flat out says that she knows what was going on she saw it she saw it all and she didn't care because you're her dad she loves you she wanted you to be there with her she wanted you to be there making her pancakes in the morning giving her piggyback rides going sailing with her she just wanted her dad there with her like next to her and you left and I, that's another thing I love about Beck in this character I don't like the fact that there wasn't a lot of scenes where we really got to see like the raw emotional side of Beck but I like this I like the scene I like that scene on the dock where Beck plainly says I may have been a kid I may have been a child I may have been some prepubescent little baby who hadn't gone through puberty yet but i knew that you were on crack and i knew there was something going on but i did not care because i still loved you because you were my dad and i just needed you to be there for me and that broke my heart but it made me happy that she said that and i feel like that closure that she got with her dad and her standing up for herself and her saying what she needed to say and her not hiding behind her smile and like her like fake like little her fake little voice where she's like all happy and so like her being real and honest with her dad in the moment was what she really needed to make a breakthrough you know so she could start writing again and uh screw joe for thinking that he was the reason that she finally found motivation and like the time to write like dude shut up you're not that special all right I'm really, I'm really sad he killed her. Oh my gosh. 
Also, I do want to say, obviously, if you're listening to this podcast and you've gotten this far and you haven't watched season one, dude, go watch season one, okay? I'm spoiling the whole thing for you. But we know that... Um, oh, before I get to that, let's talk a little bit about Peach. Peach is uh, Beck's friend. And like I mentioned before, I think, yeah, Joe and Beck's first date was going to Peach Salinger's birthday party. And when I say Peach Salinger, yes, it's in J.D. Salinger as in the writer of Catcher in the Rye, I think. Yeah, that's the book that he wrote. And um, basically, Peach is Beck's best friend. They've been friends since Brown. I think you had friends before Brown. Yeah, I think so. And uh, Peach is very possessive for Beck. It's Beckalicious this and Beckalicious that. And she really does love Beck a lot. And when I say that, I mean like literally Peach is in love with Beck. And we find this out around episode five or six. Around episode five or six, we find out that Peach is in love with Beck. And she has to have Beck in her life. And Peach probably grew up in a very strict house where she couldn't express herself a lot. And, you know, Beck was like her best friend. And, what? she fell in love with her. That's what happened. And Peach is really mean to all her other friends, like especially Annika, who is like a plus size kind of influencer. And I kind of like Annika. I think she was a little funny. I thought she was kind of cool as a character. Um, if they cut her out of the show, I wouldn't have missed her. Not gonna lie. Like, I wouldn't have missed her or Beck's other friend whose name I forgot, and I feel bad about that. And it kind of sucks that her friends are kind of, like, not that great. Because when Joe says that, like, Beck and her friends like to watch The Bachelor at Joe's apartment, and Joe, in his voiceover, like, in his head, he says that, why would self-respecting women watch this kind of garbage? I mean, Beck, I swear, your friends bring out the worst in me. I swear, I'm like the only feminist you know. Shut up. Oh my gosh. You walking beanpole. Like, walking looking, albino looking beanpole. Please, shut up. Sir, excuse me, the old, sir, you are not a feminist, okay? Like, let's not, don't, don't get a big head. Don't get a big head because you don't like The Bachelor. That does not make you better than anyone else, all right? You're not that special. Jesus. What was I saying? Oh, yeah. Bringing up Annika's, bringing up Beck's friends. There is a point in this show where Annika finds an old picture of Peach. And it shows that Peach obviously got a nose job. So uh, Annika posts that on Instagram. And then Peach posts a, not, some account puts a link in one of Annika's comments that is a link to a video that Annika, where Annika's basically saying something casually racist. And obviously that account that was formed that day, Joe thinks that it's Peach. And as you're watching the show, I didn't really think Peach was that protective of a friend. I just saw Peach as like Beck's best friend. And because I read the book, I knew that Peach was a little bit possessive. But when they reveal, but when Joe steals Peach's laptop because Peach throws an event for Beck so that Beck can meet a writer 
because Beck wrote one good essay in her life and obviously that means that she deserves a book deal but Peach tells this um Peach sets up a party at the bookstore where Joe works at so that Peach so that Beck can meet like an agent and obviously Peach is trying to get this agent to set Beck up for failure so then Joe steals Peach's laptop and he's looking through her laptop and he sees all of these pictures of Beck on Peach's laptop and he realizes that Peach is obsessed with Beck and Peach, he realizes that Peach is Beck's stalker and he thinks that Peach has a sick mind and that she has to be stopped, that she's out of control and all this other stuff. And he's saying all these things that I am just thinking about him and it's... It's hilarious. It's hilarious how he sees Peach and it's like, oh, she's crazy. She's lost her mind. She's unstable. She's ill. You can't be around this kind of person, Beck. I must save you from this person. My guy, who do you think you are? Like, who do you think you are? Bruh, shut up. Like, please. And of course, Peach is like a manipulative person who is completely obsessed with Beck and wants to control her life in every single way he can. What, is it? what was I thinking? What was I going to say? Um, um, gosh dang it. What was I going to say? Uh, yeah, he wants, she wants to control um, Beck's life. So at some point, Joe gets in the way of Beck and he's talking to Beck and then Beck confronts Peach about the thing that happened with Annika and Beck gets upset with Peach and Beck tells Peach that she will do anything to sabotage anyone who tries to get into her spotlight and uh, excuse me Beck basically tries to break up with Peach but then Peach calls Beck and she sounds like she's in trouble like she's about to hurt herself and then we see Beck and Joe go into Peach's house and we see that Peach has tried to take her own life. However, it was fake. And that's something that irked me because I am very uncomfortable with suicide, especially in media. And for it to be used as a plot point to try and bring someone closer together is something that irked me as well. But obviously it's something to show. It's to show it's. They did, like, obviously they put that in the show to let us as the audience know that Peach and Beck are so codependent on each other and that their lives are so braided into one another that, like, we sim like they simply can't be separated. So, at some point, you know, Joe says, okay, Peach, you win. I understand. I get it. And then he decides to take up running. He realizes it's too late. There's too much history. He knows without a shadow of doubt that Peach has won and that Beck's life is braided into Peach's. But he knows what he has to do to protect Beck. So he takes up running and he's been running and chasing Peach in the park for a while. And at some point in the... At some point, he chases after Peach and hits her over the head with a rock. 
And here's the thing. After he does that, he acts all shocked and, like, scared. Even though before he hit her with a rock, he plainly said in his head that he was thinking about how everything just clicked into place. But he saw Peach lying on the floor with blood coming off her brains. Ooh, blood coming off her brains. And he said in his head, oh, she gave me no choice. I would never hurt a woman. And he thinks that Becca's safe and that he wants her to live her best life without Peach. And that Becca's lucky, lucky to have him and that he is totally brave. And this is another, this is a perfect example of how stupid Joe is. He is so dumb. And how everyone else in the show is so dumb. Everyone else in the show is stupid just stupid because i'm just gonna say right now joe kills benji we all saw it coming right duh and joe is surprised that he killed benji because he didn't he gave benji a latte and i think it had almond milk or something like some nutty kind of a kind of syrup in there with like nuts in it and benji dies because he's allergic to nuts and joe is surprised because he thought benji was lying about being allergic to nuts and he gives um, Paco, the kid that he's friends with, a list of stuff to get from the uh, hardware store. And Paco's mom's abusive boyfriend, Ron, who's a parole officer, is super suspicious of Joe. And Ron finds the list on Paco and shows it to the cops. So when Joe comes to the apartment with Benji's body in his trunk... You know, the police are, are obviously suspicious of why someone would need rope, wooden stakes, fire starter, potassium nitrate. Like, what do you need all this stuff for? A shovel. What do you need this stuff for? So he plainly says, all right, I'll show you. And this is another one of those things in the show where it does a misdirect, like with Joe going to see Elizabeth. <laughs> Not Elizabeth, not me calling this, not me saying the actress's name and not the character's name. Joe going to see Guinevere Beck and being like, okay, all right, I lied. I followed you here and me thinking like, oh, he's going to tell her the truth, truth. Like we're, we're going to be honest here. And he's like, oh, I followed you here because I looked at your Instagram and I wanted to surprise you. Huh? Now like I followed here because I'm a stalker and I want to, I want to sleep with you because I think you'll make me whole. <sighs> not the real truth. But then he's like with the cops, he says... You know what, I'll show you. And in my head, I thought, oh, is he about to show them the dead body? But no, we go to this random garden that we've never seen before in an alleyway. And he's like, you know, the potassium nitrate kills weeds. The fire starter is for this random grill that just happens to be in this alleyway. And he's like, you know, uh, I gave Paco the list because Paco seems neglected. And he, like, Joe starts to antagonize Ron a little bit, pretending to be this guy who's like, he pretends to be the good guy. Like, he's like, you know, I'm nice to Paco. Like, I give Paco books. And he's nice to Paco. He does give Paco books. And, like, he does buy Paco, like, frozen yogurt and, like, meatball subs and all that stuff. But, of course, he says that to antagonize Ron so that the cops will not trust Ron, but will trust Will. Not Will. My bad. Sorry, I'm getting ahead of myself. So that they'll trust Joe and not Ron, because obviously Ron has a history of violence, and those police officers probably know that, and Joe seems like this very nice, straight-edge white guy who's completely unsuspecting. Like, he's a dude that wears, like, he wears, he, he was a, he's wearing a button-down shirt, you guys. He's wearing a button-down shirt, and guys who wear button-down shirts aren't creepy. Guys who wear button-down shirts don't use potassium nitrate for devious motives. No, they're nice guys. 
They got girls and they got gardens. They're cool. They give they give kids books because they want kids to read. You know, he's a great guy. Nice guy. Straight edge. Not suspicious at all. That's why everyone that's why everyone that's why everybody in this show is an idiot. Because Joe hits Peach over the head with a rock and then he just tosses the rock. He just tosses the rock away. He just runs away. And another thing is that like you if you like, oh my god. Peach is running in Central Park. And if you were to see if you were to hear that somebody famous like Peach Salinger got hit in the head in Central Park, wouldn't you then look through security camera footage of all of the businesses surrounding Central Park or any of the cameras that are in Central Park because I assume that because New York is not a safe place to live, there has to be some security cameras in Central Park and you see some random <laughs> skinny-legged white guy running for his life like a maniac who says something very bad running in Central Park around the same time that Peach Salinger got her head bashed in by a rock, you would automatically assume that this guy bashed her head in with a rock. Why does no one suspect that? Why does no one look into that? Where's the security camera footage? Where's the, where's the, where's the footage? I'm confused. Like, what the heck happened? What the heck, man? But Peach doesn't die. Thank goodness. She doesn't die. And now she and Beck are closer together. And of course, Beck, Annika, and the last friend whose name I forgot. I feel so bad because she's like, the only other woman of color in the show. And I don't know her name, I'm so sorry. But um, they're all taking care of Peach and Beck especially taking care of Peach. And Peach wants Beck to go to their estate. Where's the estate? I forget where, I forget where. I probably wrote it down though. Like, it's probably my notes. Hold on. It's not on my notes. Why don't I take good notes? Uh. <laughs> so, what was I saying? Oh yeah. So, uh, Peach wants to take Beck away. Peach takes Beck away to the Salinger estate. And Joe finds the Salinger estate because it's on some real estate website that is open to the public. And he goes to save Beck from Peach because Peach wants her all to herself and all this other stuff. And while Joe is driving out to rescue Beck, he sees a deer in the road and he swerves and hits his car into a tree. And he backs his car away from the tree but of course a cop like is there and sees him and starts asking him questions so joe pretends to be uh some rich white guy who like has a boat and he invites a police officer onto the boat and the police officer decides not to card him or ask for his id but instead the police officer simply says that like oh you know what it's fine you can just go about your way because the police officer doesn't think th thinks that Joe is too much trouble and he doesn't want to, have to deal with him. And Joe goes on about his way because Joe knows how to play people. He's smarter than everyone else. Psych, you're not, Joe, because the cop wrote down the license plate of the car you're driving and he's going to find out who you are. Because here's another thing about Joe. He keeps driving around in this fancy 
one-of-a-kind red old kind of new car that's like a Mustang or whatever I don't know what it is and it belonged to Mr. Mooney who owned the bookstore that Joe is now a manager of and we will get to Mr. Mooney in a second don't worry and when you are somebody who commits crimes maybe you shouldn't drive a car that's so special that's very unique when you are someone who commits crimes and does bad things, maybe you shouldn't drive a car that stands out so much. Maybe you should drive a basic ass black Toyota Camry that no one could like point out or distinguish from. Because like what what oh my god. You were this man was not cut out to be a criminal. I'm telling y'all that right now. He was not. But he crashed his another thing, another thing. He crashed his car into a tree. Why isn't he dead? Joe, why is this man alive? Why is it so, he, he crashes his car and he hides his car in the woods and he walks the rest of the way to the estate. And this guy has a giant lump on his forehead, the size of a golf ball. And he is just, he's just walking around like he's fine. Everything's fine. Everything's okay. I'm good. I got it. Like, my guy, don't you have head trauma that you need to take care of? Like, aren't you, don't you have a concussion? It, what? I'm confused. So, he sneaks into the house and he hides and he's like watching Beck and Peach live in the house. I mean, they don't really do much. Um, Beck takes a bath and then Peach watches her take a bath. And then Joe watches Peach watch Beck take a bath, which is disgusting and terrible and so sad for Beck because she's just trying to take care of her friend who got hit over the head with a rock in Central Park and she feels bad because her friend also tried to kill herself and she just wants to be there for her friend and now her friend is just some creepy stalker who wants to control her it makes me sad for Beck it makes it makes me sad for Beck and then he homeboy decides to pee in a jar which was obviously a stupid move because when you're in a quiet hallway why would you start peeing why would you start peeing in a jar oh my god you're stupid why would you start peeing in a jar obviously we can hear you when water <laughs> when liquid hits the bottom of glass it makes the noise stupid but he can't tell because his head is the size of argentina or like brazil i don't know also there's a part where like he's in the house and he tries to sew his head and he is on the floor, knocked out with a needle in his brain, sticking out of his lump. And he just wakes up and he's like lying on the floor, like openly on the floor. And I thought that when you see him wake up, we would also see Peach and Beck standing over his body like, what are you doing here? Joe, why are you here? Creepy stalker guy. But no, he wakes up just in time for Peach and Beck to come back from shopping all day. And... Then at one point, um, Peach invites some guy over so that they can, like, take drugs and have a threesome. And Peach kisses Beck, and then Beck calls Joe. And before they took the uh, psychedelics, Peach invited Beck to Paris so that they could, like, go away together and, like, be together. But then Peach texts Joe and's like, you know what? I miss you. I want to be with you. And the next day... Beck tells Peach that she's leaving, she's going back to New York, and that, you know, Peach needs to take care of her own self, and when 
Beck gets in the Uber to leave. Joe is in Peach's library in the estate and then he sees Candace. And I want to say throughout season one, he's been seeing Candace a lot. And Candace is his ex-girlfriend. Candace is his ex-girlfriend who went away to Italy supposedly to be with an ex-boyfriend supposedly because also at Peach Salinger's birthday party they ran into an old friend of Candace's, Madison, who was like, hey Joe, how's it going? And then Joe's like, oh, it's going pretty good. He's like, she's like, isn't it weird how Candace just like up and left out of nowhere without telling anyone, like not her friends, not her teachers, not her family, just like disappeared with some guy in Italy? Isn't that strange? And Joe's like, yeah, I guess it is. Like, this is a little weird. And we're all just sitting here like, oh, history. Hmm, okay. Something in the past. We should pay attention to it. And while he's in the estate, he has, like, this dream where he sees Candace. And he's, like, joking around with Candace and being with her. And obviously, he sees Candace because he stuck that needle in his golf ball size lump that's growing out of his brain because he's his car hit a tree why like oh my god and then when joe watches beck drive away he sees a vision of candace and homeboy is just yelling and screaming at candace so obviously peach who is in a house by herself hears somebody screaming and she hits him over the head and she confronts joe and um she thinks that joe's her stalker when Joe isn't her stalker, Joe is Beck's stalker. And then Peach sees that Joe is wearing Benji's watch. And the reason why he's wearing Benji's watch is because he's he had to put on the watch and Benji's cap, which he stole from Benji and kept after he killed Benji so that he could disguise himself so that the cop would just think he's some rich townie who's just driving around and of course peach recognizes that watch because it's expensive and joe would not would never be able to buy that watch and peach also recognizes that watch as benji's watch and guess what benji supposedly went on a bender where he would started taking drugs and partying and sleeping with other women around the world and just disappears out of nowhere nobody knows where he is and no one really cares and i feel like with benji having the rich parents that he has I feel like his dad would eventually want to, like, find his son. You know, like, eventually his dad would want to, like, figure out where his, his son is. Like, obviously he's not going to believe that he's just, like, out here partying by himself when none of his friends can back up where he is. Because, by the way, Benji was starting a Tisanel Soda Company with his friends. So if his friends realize that, his, that he just ups and disappears for months at a time and he says that he's partying, like, someone can't party for years. You know, at some point... Benji's family has to worry about him and wonder where he is. Like, his friends have to worry about him and wonder where he is. Like, that never comes up as a concern in the show. It's just Peach's parents who care about what happened to her. But getting ahead of myself, uh, Peach obviously puts it together that Joe killed Benji. And Joe starts to antagonize Peach and tells her that Beck will never love her. And so Peach shoots the ceiling to get Joe to shut up. And he runs away. And Peach shoots him in the leg. And he pretends like he's dead. And he grabs Peach and he shoots her and he kills her. And then he writes a suicide note for Peach. And then Beck is upset. 
because she lost a friend that she has had for a long time and now she's depending on Joe a lot more. And this is another thing that I hate. Joe is someone who has no morality. He is someone who does not care about anyone else but whatever he wants or whatever he needs and his desires. He doesn't care that Beck was a human being with her own friends and yes, Benji was a bad boyfriend and Peach was controlling and manipulative, but that doesn't mean they deserve to die. Of course, in the show, we find out that Benji accidentally killed somebody in a fraternity hazing incident and he showed Joe the video because obviously Benji kept that video to hold it over his friends, his old friend's head, you know, to get them to do whatever he wanted. And we see that Benji isn't a great person. We see that Benji isn't some stand-up guy, but it doesn't give Joe the right to kill him because Joe isn't the judge. Joe isn't God. Joe isn't the judge and jury. Joe doesn't get to decide who is worthy of life and who isn't. Joe doesn't get to be the person who, who decides whether or not someone gets to be in Beck's life or not. That's Beck's decision because Beck is her own person. She's a human being with her own thoughts and her own desires. She can make choices for herself whether she wants to cut Peach off or not. And yes, the relationship she had with Peach was a toxic friendship. And I feel like in that moment when she left in that Uber was really the time where she was really going to stop being friends with Peach and cut her off for good and live her own life. And I feel like that would have been a great moment. But Joe deciding to kill Peach just shows that he is overstepping his boundaries. Obviously overstepping his boundaries because he stalked back to be with her and made and like manipulated all these little meat cutes so they can like be together and date and all this stupid stuff when really he's going out of his way to control her and possess her and he's doing everything he can to isolate her from other people who would take her away from him because he wants her to depend on him and I honestly feel like if P if Beck was close to her family like I feel like if Beck actually had a good relationship with her dad he would kill her dad like he would just kill anybody that got in his way because he doesn't care. And even though Joe tries to act like all surprised when he kills somebody and he tries to like act all shocked like, oh, I'm not a killer. I'm not a bad guy. I would have do this. I had to do it. I had no choice. Left me no choice. Like I, I'm brave. Like I, I'm the hero of the story. They're the bad guy. You know, I had to, like they had to die. Like it was I, like so stupid. Of course you have a choice in whether or not you're going to kill somebody. And he wants that. I hate him. I hate him. I hate him so much. I hate Joe. I hate Joe Goldberg. What else do you want me to say? What else do you want me to say? Another thing I would like to add on to this endless ramble of thoughts <laughs> is that Joe Goldberg is somebody who wants to act like he doesn't know what he's doing, but he knows exactly what he's doing, okay? He acts like he's this good guy. And also the show tries to like, I really do feel like the show tries to display the story in a neutral way. And I think that in season one, they were a little heavy in being in Joe's own head. And even though it's great that there were like a few points where we got into Beck's head, there's only a few points where we were in Beck's head because I would have appreciated it more if after Peach died, 
we got to know Beck more and we got to be, we got to have more of a Beck voiceover and to see how she's doing, how she's coping with it and how she's dealing with it and what she thinks. And uh, excuse me, I want to know what is, I want to see things from Beck's perspective of how she had this friend who she cared about and loved for such a long time. And she found out this friend was, she over time knew that this friend was possessive and manipulative, but she just wanted to take care of this friend because she also knew that she was broken and that she, this friend needed her, like really needed her. I wanted to see how Beck felt after losing someone like that in her life, but the show didn't do that. And we stay with Joe and I feel like, like one thing that the show tries to do is humanize Joe, which I don't like because even in um, the book, you you know about Paco and Claudia, who is Paco's mom, and they are Joe's neighbors. But in the show, Paco is Joe's friend. Like they hang out, they talk. Paco is at the bookstore, oftentimes reading books. Paco talks to Joe, asks Joe for advice. Paco sees Joe as kind of a mentor, as like an older brother, kind of in a way. And that's something that's sweet. And, you know, it's showing that like, you know, not all guys who stalk women are like creepy guys who live in their basement and like are mama's boys. You know, some of them are just like nice guys who are charming and witty and like good guys and they're handsome and like they got nice jawlines and they like to read and all this stuff but the show also shows you how like a lot of times the people who are dangerous and who are stalkers are not always the people that you suspect or the people you think and sometimes they're just very good at walking that line and they know how to be a predator and also a manipulator but not in a way where you will really notice it because as we're watching the show and i'm guilty of this obviously joe is actively manipulating beck and us as the audience we see that he is we see all the things he's doing we see how he is like always uh walking this line and being a predator and being super creepy and weird and we see all that he's doing but Beck doesn't see that because Beck isn't focused on Joe. Beck isn't zoned in Joe. Beck is just living her own life and there just so ha happens to be this new guy who comes in her life who's charming and like witty and nice and you know she wants to date him because he's a nice change up from the other guys that she's dated and the other guys that she's been with. And of course, if we were in Beck's shoes, yeah, I'm going to date this guy. He runs a bookstore. He's super cute. He's really funny. He's nice. He's honest with me. He's a good guy. Like, yeah, I would like to be with him. But we wouldn't really, like, overthink it. We wouldn't know that he's stalking her every move and that he's reading her text messages and looking to her account. And it's because, it's just because of how we look at, like, you know, he's manipulating us. You know, the way that he's manipulating Beck. And there are some instances in the show where, like, he sees himself as this hopeless romantic. And he's not a hopeless romantic. He's a homicidal murderer. You know, when I see him with Paco, it's nice. Because this kid 
needs somebody else in his life who will take care of him and teach him right from wrong. You know, he obviously can't look up to Ron because Ron beats his Claudia. And Claudia, you know, when you have dysfunctional families, it's difficult to figure out what to do in that situation. Because even though Claudia could leave Ron, Claudia is also a drug addict, so she needs someone to, like, keep her in line. But not in a not, like, keep her in line, like, beat her, obviously, but her son can't look after her because her son is so young and you can't put that weight on him to take care of an adult. Like, he can't be the caretaker, you know? And even though Claudia has a friend, Karen, who's there for her, like, Karen can't be there for Claudia as well. And Claudia needs someone else. And, you know, Paco does need a father figure, but he doesn't deserve someone who is who has anger issues and a drinking problem, you know? Paco obviously needs someone he can look up to. And it's sad that it's Joe because we see Joe... Because Paco sees Joe as, like, the nice guy. And even though, like, there's an instance where Paco goes to the um, basement and Joe gets very upset with Paco and he gets upset... Like, he gets mad with Paco and Paco sees the scary side of Joe. Paco still looks to Joe for help because Joe's still, like, that nice guy who's there for him. And in the end of season one, Joe kills Ron. And... Did Ron deserve to die? Yes, Ron is trash, okay? Screw Ron. Screw Ron. Ron is trash, okay? The bottom of the barrel, all right? Nobody liked Ron. But it's sad because Joe kills Ron and Paco keeps Joe's secret. But then at the end of the season also, Joe has figured out that Beck knows about his little secrets because Joe hid all his secrets in a shoebox in a hole in his ceiling like a creepy murderer would. And he locks Beck in his glass box, which I hate. And Beck escapes the glass box by stabbing Joe with a key from the typewriter. And she tries to get out of the basement and Paco sees him and Beck obviously says that Joe is keeping her down there. And if Paco lets Beck out, Beck will tell the authorities and then Joe will go to jail and then Paco will lose the one person who was there for him, the one person who supported him, who was there for him, who was with him. So he decides to do the thing where he ignores Beck and he lets her die. He knows that he is endangering Beck's life, but he also knows that if Joe goes to jail, that he will lose his friend and his one companion who has been there for him. And that's something that's so heartbreaking because Paco, Paco's a child. He's a kid, okay? He just wanted a friend and his friend turned out to be a murderer. It hurts my heart. That hurts my heart, like genuinely, like, genuinely hurts my heart. I hate it. I hate all of it. I hate how everything is weaved into one another and it's all complicated and a mess and it's gross and how everything is just so terrible and sad and heartbreaking. And the only person who gets to be happy in the end is Joe. And even though Joe pretends like he's unhappy, guess what? Joe isn't dead. <laughs> so he's happy in the end. You know, he's the only person who gets the happy ever after. It makes me sad.
Another thing is that I wish that the one the biggest problem I have with this show is that this is real. Like this is a reality for people. There's an article in Harper's Bazaar where a girl wrote about how she was stalked by Joe Goldberg. And she had someone in her life who was like him who stalked her and found out like all this stuff about her. And the thing about our lives now is that social media kind of enables stalking in the way that it's accessible to us. And we use social media to update people on our lives, but it also kind of encourages people to look into our lives and people like Joe can now monitor someone's life. And I'm not trying to shame people for using social media to talk about your life and like posting on like Instagram stories or posting on Facebook and stuff like that. But it's heartbreaking, you know, like people should be able to just like, if you want to post a picture of yourself at a bar and you're just hanging out at this bar, like you should be able to hang out this bar and not worry about somebody looking at your Facebook trying to find that bar and then watch you leave that bar follow you to your house and then break into your house and then stab you or like try and follow you around throughout your whole life or like like you should be i I, it 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 sucks because this could really happen to any ordinary person just living their lives whether it's openly social media or not because there are people out there who do not feel satisfied in their own lives so then they will become wildly infatuated with someone else and then they will begin to become your stalker and they will become overbearing and obnoxious and do everything they can to weasel themselves into your lives and you'll just think they're just some random person that you met and you keep bumping into them and it's like oh my gosh it's just this guy like oh look at this and then you, like, you become friends or like you start dating and all this stuff but when it's a real person in real life, you don't know their impulses. You don't know their intentions. You know, in the show, we feel close to Joe. We know everything about him. We hear his thoughts and everything. And I think that a part of the show, like, kind of makes us understand him because Joe isn't an all-around evil guy because he's nice to Paco and he helped that old lady to his car to to find it he helped that old lady find a cab even though when he helped that old lady find a cab he was jerking off in the woods watching Guinevere Beck masturbate on a pillow disgusting and I hate it because I don't want this show to be something that tries to rationalize his insanity because we have to follow his story we're in his head you know the narration is in his favor and I don't like that you know and I don't like that we didn't get to really know Beck as much and there wasn't that much development and we didn't really get to know her as a person as much as we got to know Joe. And this is another thing is that people are always so focused on trying to find the good in bad people after they do terrible things because you want to understand people you have compassion for other people and you want to understand like the motives behind it and you don't want to like condemn them but sometimes people are evil sometimes people are like homicidal maniacs who are possessive and manipulative and they don't so a lot of times you don't really like i understand that there's a deeper mental problem 
who to people who are like Joe, who become fixated on one person and do everything they can so they can be with that person, even if that means endangering the other people around them. I understand that there is a deeper kind of um, mental problem going on in there, but I'm not really concerned with what the stalker is going through when I'm really more focused on the person who is being stalked. Because it's so easy. It would. It's so. It, it just. It could happen to someone you know. And I know the show isn't trying to like. I know the show isn't like um, how to stalk women that you like or something like that. I know the show isn't trying to like show you how to be a stalker or like anything like that, but. It just kind of shows us how easy it is for us to fall prey to people who are that terrible and too evil. And it also, like, it now makes me think, like, do I have to, like, be at code red all the time for the rest of my life, worried that somebody will try and weasel their way into my life to hurt the other, other people that I love so they look to me and depend on me? Because what if Beck didn't like Joe? Like, what if Beck didn't start dating Joe? earlier in the season he would have just killed her and moved on because he never really loved her he didn't really care about her he wasn't trying to win her heart the old-fashioned way he was just someone who became infatuated with her and it, and put layer upon layer upon layer of manipulating her into his arms until she saw him for who he truly was and the other thing that really irked me was that when he locked her in the glass chamber he's showing her all the terrible things he did to her friends and he's like, I did all this so we could be together. Don't you see how much I love you? Like, no, she doesn't see how much you love her. She sees the crimes that you've committed. And you see how he's dug himself into this deep hole and how he's done all these terrible things. And now he's added her murder onto all the terrible things that he has done. And it's so horrible. And obviously this feeds into Mr. Mooney because in the book, Joe and Mr. Mooney talk a lot more and spend a lot more time together. But in the show, we don't really see Mr. Mooney except for flashbacks. And in those flashbacks, we see that Mr. Mooney has obviously psychologically abused Joe. He locked Joe in that glass chamber probably for days on end because he didn't like Joe or he got upset with Joe about something. And now Joe has this glass chamber where he locks people in there and he punishes them because they're bad. And he thinks that he's superior than them. And he thinks that he's better than them and all this other stuff. And what is it? In the show, we finally see Mr. Mooney, like, we see him in the flesh, in the present, and he had a stroke, so he can't talk. But another thing you see in the show is that Joe, in his previous relationship with Candace, he thought that Candace was cheating on him with her music manager, so he threw the man music manager off the roof. And then he went to go see Mr. Mooney. He's really scared. He's really worried about it. And Mr. Mooney reassures him and tells him that he did the right thing. And Mr. Mooney basically convinces Joe that he's not the bad guy in it, but that the guy who died is the bad guy. And that shows how Joe has this thought process where he does these terrible things and he panics, but he obviously calms himself down and he's like, oh, you're not the bad guy. You're the hero. And even though Joe might feel bad about killing all these people, he doesn't really feel that bad because he keeps killing people. Like, he keeps doing it. He keeps repeating his actions. And he just doesn't learn. 
lastly, I want to say I'm really sick and tired of TV shows and movies that take the time to deconstruct and like analyze why terrible men do terrible things. They're terrible people who do terrible things. I'm sorry that I do not have any like <laughs> I'm sorry that I don't have any compassion or empathy for evil people. I like I don't. I simply do not. Even though this show is fictional and not real, and I'm very happy that like Penn Badgley, the guy who plays Joe, openly says that like you guys should not romanticize Joe. Do not put him on a pedestal. Do not ask me to kidnap you or tie you up. I'm not going to do it. Like, please stop fantasizing over this guy. He's not a good guy. He's a murderer. He's evil. He's bad. I'm glad that Joe Batchley just uses his press tour to talk about how terrible he is. But like, I find it, I find it sad and concerning that there are young people who will watch this show and then want someone like Joe. Someone who will go the extra mile just to be with him, just to be with them. Because even though you may want a boyfriend who's going to do everything they can to be with you and love you and take care of you and just like want to be like to want to be with you, I'm pretty sure you don't want someone who's going to stalk you, murder your friends and try and control you and manipulate you so that you fit the person that they think you are in their heads and not the person that you actually are because joe didn't know beck he doesn't really like he doesn't know beck they barely know each other for months and he feels like he has this understanding of her and this deeper deeper meaning to her she is this three-dimensional character and we don't really get to know her as well because we're so stuck in joe's head and joe's narration and we're so stuck in like his monologue and his soliloquies about her and her boobs and whatever that we don't get to know her that much. And the audience's relationship with Beck is at such a distance that it just reinforces how we see Joe, that he's the only person who can have access to her. And even though Peach was manipulative and controlling, she was Beck's friend. And I feel like if given the space and given the time, Beck could have talked to Peach and Beck could have like dumped Peach and found new, better friends if Joe hadn't gone and killed her. And at one point in the show, Beck starts seeing a therapist. And I think that's really great that she does. And Joe thinks that he that she's cheating. And Beck finds out that Joe is stalking her. So Beck dumps Joe. Another thing, Joe starts seeing Karen, the, the only other black girl in this show. And he gets upset with Karen because Karen is her own woman with her own wants and needs and desires. And she's a grown woman who does grown woman things and doesn't need him cuddle up on her all night, like making her pancakes. She can make her own breakfast, thank you very much. And he gets upset with her at times because he can't take care of Karen the same way he can take care of Beck, which is gross and just shows that these guys only want one kind of girl and don't actually want a woman who's like independent and can like be her own human being, but needs a girl who can like lean on them. And I was really scared that he was gonna kill Karen because if Joe killed Karen, I was gonna fight Sarah Gamble myself. Like, we're not gonna do that to me. We're not doing this, not today. No, sir, not today. But uh, what was I gonna say? Yeah, eventually like Joe and Beck get back together 
Joe dumps Karen. Karen doesn't care because Karen is her own woman. She is her own grown woman. She got her own grown woman life and grown woman things she got it going on. And when Joe and Beck get back together, Beck opens up and says that she did cheat on Joe. And even though Beck cheated, it doesn't mean that she's the bad guy. It doesn't mean she's evil. She just cheated. People do those things. People make mistakes. Her cheating on Joe is not the same thing as Joe killing two people. Three people. Three people. He killed three people, guys. Beck cheated. So what? You cheat. That happens. All right? We all don't go around murdering other people. Two different things. Yeah. Also, I feel bad for Dr. Nikki. You know, he, like... A therapist shouldn't start smoking weed in the middle of a session, obviously. <laughs> and obviously he's not like the best guy, but it doesn't mean he that, that doesn't mean that, he, sorry. Obviously Dr. Nikki isn't the best guy, but that doesn't mean that he deserved to be framed for murder. Wow, like he didn't deserve to be framed for murder, you know? Poor guy. Another thing, that cop that randomly was like, like that random cop that was kind of like focused on Joe and suspected him. I know that you're just a random cop in like a small town, but I feel like if the cop and the PI got together, they could have cracked the case, my guy. Like it's all there. It's all there. You know, it's, yeah, yeah. Uh, excuse me. That's basically my feelings and relationships with the show you it's an interesting show and i think that with his dark and insidious behavior i just want to like i just want to tip my hat off to pen badgley he's really amazing he's really great and you know i'm i'm rooting for pen hopefully when this show ends which might be in the third season because like how how far can you take this? How many times can we go through the same toxic psychopathic behavior? Like how many times can you take this deranged man and have him pretend to be chivalrous and romantic when really it's just abuse and misogyny in disguise? Come on y'all. Like how many times do you have to have this man brutally murder people for his own love interest in air quotes? How many seasons of stuff, how many seasons of the show am I have to gonna watch? Y'all gonna have to let me know because I can't deal with this, okay? This guy's abhorrent. He's a murderer. He's bad. He's undesirable and I'm tired of it, all right? But yeah, those are my thoughts on um, You Season 1. I hope they weren't too jumbly and all over the place. I really hope I said all the things I wanted to say. Because honestly, I take notes and I think about what I want to say and I have it all out in front of me. And then sometimes I re-watch, I re-listen to this stuff and I'm just like, what is this? What is this rambling? But I hope you guys liked it. I hope it was interesting. I hope it was coherent and awesome. I recorded this in a study room in my library. So I think that people around me heard everything I said, which is fun. So that's why I may be talking a little low. Because if I was talking in my house by myself, I would be shouting. And we're not going to shout in the library because we're not, what? Crazy. But uh, yeah. I will uh, see you guys. See you. Ugh. Yeah. Be sure to cast me. Ooh, 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 sorry. Be sure to catch the next episode of. 
I've been meaning to watch that, and stay blessed.